0: issuing a retraction everything we said about me not being a seasoned bear tracker was wrong <laughs> i was just embracing modernity instead of tradition As it turns out i'm i'm the most i'm the best bear tracker at least in this this neighborhood probably in the world so what happened was <laughs> instead of trying to go to the bear well so okay so it's 1 a.m <laughs> And I feel this Slavic tingle that tells me now is a good time to go out into the pitch darkness and grill up four tasty Wagyu burgers. And so I go out there, I get those burgers on the grill, I'm frying them up. And then, is that what it is, frying? And that's not, it's not frying. I'm I'm cooking up those burgers. (laughs) And I'll be honest, I'm I'm getting hungry. I don't really feel like waiting for. I mean, first of all, it's already the fire is really starting to go. Yeah. Because the oil's catching. It catches really fast. I'm like, it's probably cooked and it's the middle of the night. I'm hungry right now. And so I go and I take the burgers in. And then I come out and I'm like, God, Brett's going to yell at me if I don't clean the grill off. And so I start, you know, taking the grill brush and I'm grilling it just out there now in just total darkness. I've turned the lights off. I've put the plate away. (laughs) I've got everything. I'm just, just brushing down the grill and. I, I turn to walk around and I, I hear like 15 feet away from me in the darkness a sound. It's sort of like a, a huff growl, sort of like a And instantly I'm like, okay, that's three things. That's either brett fucking, which it could be, it's it's that time of night, but normally I'm like, no, because normally I go high pitched. Yeah, not normally low. brett brett fucking, <laughs> just so you guys know uh spoilers in case he ever fucks you uh brett's fucking is more like a sweetie i love you <laughs> so i'm like scratch that one could be brett shitting but yeah uh, that
1: is a closer but i know
0: you've been doing fasting I and so fasting, i'm like he, he didn't really eat anything and so the third thing i'm like well as i'm thinking this it roars at me again <laughs> and i i realize uh in that moment, oh, that's like a big fuck off bear right there. Yep. Like it's it's going it smelled the burgers and it's been lured it, It's the traditional Slavic bear baiting method. <laughs> I didn't realize I was even doing it. So I, yeah. I run in and I grab a couple metal stools and I run and I start banging them together. And I discover something about myself I did not know previously, which is in a high stress situation with the bear, I become Sort of like a country western Howard (laughs) Dean, because with no real intention or forethought, uh, my voice just changes into a you get out of there, bear. (laughs) 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 Don't know why that's what came out, but in that moment, Uh, I just started banging things and going, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, and uh, it worked. I mean, in case you want to model yourself after someone, I always (laughs) recommend myself, of course. Um, it, it startles just like what the fuck was this about? I was just here trying to eat some burgers and you start doing this. I thought we were buddies. And it, it sprints out away. Now the motion sensor goes off because before it was sort of under it. Yeah, yeah. And it sprints out in the darkness. I can't really see where it is. So I'm inside now I'm turning off I'm turning off all the lights because I can't see out. It's that you know, it's that the wire thing. Yeah, yeah. Where you don't the thing that's trying to kill you outside the window, you can't see. Because the lights are on inside, yeah. The lights are on. So I'm there, I'm turning all the lights off. Yes, I did lose my save game in Persona, but you know, with great accomplishment comes sacrifice. And eventually (laughs) I see that it's at the neighbor's house now lying on a pile of their garbage. Mm -hmm. Now the neighbor's house is, we're up here in the mountains, but it's one of those things where it's like narrow trail. And so the neighbor's house is maybe, someone like me with a bad arm could throw a tight spiral football and hit their front door. Oh, yeah. Like, it's still not far away. It's gone from, like, 15 feet to maybe, like, 20 yards away.
1: Yeah, there's, like, two close houses, and that's one of them.
0: And it's very chill. And so Brett comes out, and he's just like, what what the fuck? And I call him over, and, and like, just Brooklyn hipsters, we all just, like, sit there on the ground on our knees like we're praying and just peer out the window, like, look at it. It's majestic. (laughs) And it's just chewing on, like, a a can of Corona beer. (laughs) And, And... it, for some reason, it likes Corona beer and silk milk because there's a, a bear there's a bear <laughs> den behind us that's all just bottles of silk almond milk. That's amazing. He fucking loves it. And so knowing that about him and knowing that we got off to a bad start, after watching for a little bit and realizing he's pretty much chill, there's also a very fat raccoon that just came up and sat next to him. Also his buddy, yeah. Which, you know, it's not a traditional pairing, but I got nothing to say about it, <laughs> you know? I realized like, okay, this bear might be chill. There's only one way to know. So I played Luna for him. <laughs> I, I got <laughs> Luna going on the phone. He did play Luna? And I just played Luna for the wild bear for a while. And he seemed to like it. Hi hi he liked. But I not know if maybe he liked just Luna or K-pop in general. So I threw in some Twice, uh, some Monster X. Uh, I wanted to stay on friendly terms so I didn't put any G-idle.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, but all in all, very successful interaction. Um, and I am now a proven bear tracker again, definitely the best in this household and neighborhood, maybe in the Western world.
1: Uh, the best part is I was coming out to take out the garbage that I had forgotten about into the darkness where the bear was.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I mentioned real happy that didn't happen. I mentioned the fact that like I undercooked the burgers because I realized if I, Cooked them properly or had better impulse control and was out of the way there or by the way was less conscientious and uh was already done and in, in here one of us was going to be accosted by the bear more directly yep it was at the bottom of it was at the the end of the deck yep, yep. just chilling <laughs> you would have been like oh i need to take the trash out oh oh hey rob fuck i'm dead <laughs> <laughs> yes that would have been the process uh instead of this way where i'm just killing you slowly uh so what what news what what news would you like to speak about and in uh what order one
1: of the requests on the patreon comments was for bolivia which before we get into that though real fast uh some of the other requests here stephanie had a request for another historical perspective like the chiquita dole that yeah, was I, a good
0: episode. I, I was My favorite part about that episode was listening to it on a plane and not having to put any work into it. I bet.
1: Uh, I do have another, I have like three or four more of those planned. I just, uh, school and the election have ruined all my hopes and dreams. So that's part of why that hasn't come out yet. So I, I do have plans on that one. Um, Vicky and Paul asked for something on the Nova Scotia stuff, which, yes, uh, I do want to talk about that. I'm saving that for DBM, who we're going to talk to post-election. So. Stay tuned on that one. Wow,
0: you're going to talk to your one indigenous friend about it? Oh,
1: I didn't even think about that. That's even better. I was just going to talk to Canadians about Canada stuff. That's as far as my thought process went on that, just to be
0: clear. Wow, so indigenous erasure. Got it. Correct.
1: Uh, David, you think too highly of us. Uh, I know very little about Syria, but... I'm I'm
0: basically an expert. I will attempt to learn. About like three years ago, I got pretty high and watched one of those Vox explainers, and... Uh, so here's the thing proxy wars yep that's all we got right <laughs> now. that's all we got right now <laughs> uh, and then anton more tales from florida yes always always we do some tales from florida it's hard to think that's one of those things that's sort of tough because it's like uh tell us about uh, tell stories from it's hard to do on the y- spot. your entire existence and it's like oh okay um well, I have, <laughs> it's, my existence has basically been not noteworthy so it's hard to p- like pick through the files of not noteworthy anecdotes for yeah, the right. one that's like, oh, this one's stellar. But I will keep an eye out for uh, tying things into Florida more.
1: Max asked us to talk more about shows. Shows?
0: Any shows we were watching, which
1: like as somebody who also would like to talk less about uh, yeah, the well,
0: horrors of the world, I do appreciate that request. We're going to be on Kino Lefter Um yeah, better be Kino Lefter, Evan. Don't put me on that primo shit. Kino Lefter, we're gonna do <laughs> we're gonna do Swingers, an extremely regressive uh, movie that launched the careers of Vince Vaughn and Mr. Avengers John Favreau.
1: Yeah, and the guy who's running, he's doing the Mandalorian now. Yep. Which speaking of shows, I did just watch that and it's not terrible. I was completely done with Star Wars, and that's the first thing I've seen in a while that I will say I didn't like because it was Star Wars. I just liked because it was decent sci-fi. But it was nice. It was like, oh, hey, once again, just like with Logan, if you take your big budget bullshit property and just adapt old westerns to it, it'll probably be pretty good. I'm like, yeah, just do more of that. Old westerns are awesome, they're immensely entertaining. Those tropes still work, like,
0: especially the racial stereotypes. Huh? Oh, of course, especially for, for indigenous Star Wars? erasure. <laughs> <laughs> he does it all the time. Uh, I am weirdly looking forward
1: to the new Mandalorian, though. I, I'm still surprised that I enjoyed that as much as I did, but it's good. What would
0: you say is your favorite part about Baby Yoda? Uh, it's no, less please the Baby Yoda you don't thing, to...
1: and more that it reminded me of one of the things I liked about Knights of the Old Republic. That's why I liked it. Great game. Because they actually get into some of the lore of the Mandalorians, who... And Kodor, you get into a bunch of it, and it's great because they're like big, dumb space Spartans, and you're like, this is awesome. I love this show."
0: Astila Revan, OTP. Real heads know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, so that's why I liked it, because it was like, oh, this is the closest it's gotten to the one Star Wars thing I have always loved. So, ooh, Adam had a quick article that this did make me laugh, so thank you, Adam. This is about how Indonesia is dealing with COVID.
0: Is it? Are they dealing with it the opposite of Poland? <laughs> nice.
1: They were dealing with it by having people dress up as ghosts to scare people into social distancing that's kind of like what if the clan was woke <laughs> <laughs> also their ghost outfits are disconcerting because they're like they look like they're fully wrapped up in mummified type ghosts which like yeah if i saw that sitting on a bench in the middle of the night i'd be a little freaked out especially if, about after if watching I, hill house if i'm shit. out
0: and about in the middle of the night and you come up to me dressed like a ghost you either need a good explanation or the ability to dance thriller because i'm gonna demand one of the two
1: <laughs> or both hilariously at first it, it went not great because people were interested in seeing them dressed up so people are like oh we got to find the people dressed up as ghosts tonight right it became like an attraction
0: it's actually the opposite of of what's going on in new york upstate where they're canceling all their ichabod crane headless horsemen sort because yeah. like, sleepy hollow is here they're canceling it because they're like look if we put this guy's a fucking star. If we ride him through town, everyone's going to come out and look at it, and then they're going to get the COVID. So they've we finally defeated the head, headless horseman here in New York. <laughs> He's done. COVID got him. Rip. We just needed
1: a greater threat, a greater evil. The
0: Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> the
1: uh, the Indonesian uh, response of r- rolling out people dressed as ghosts is entertaining. I love these because I saw the India one too, where they were like they had people riding around with like helmets that look like a giant virus blown up and scaled, right? Like real bizarre. But it's always nice to re- be reminded that other governments occasionally try new things because we've never done that at any point that's in my lifetime.
0: The, that's kind of the Australian thing, right? Where they put graphic images of lung cancer on the pack of yeah. cigarettes, only they're putting it on humans.
1: Yeah. yeah it's, well, like, it's like when I, uh, whenever I... Back in the day when travel was loud, last time I went internationally, I was uh, in Hong Kong and I saw... I was just walking around and I was like, why does everything here feel a thousand times nicer? And I was like, oh, because they build public infrastructure and all the public transit is new. So the entirety of the city feels cleaner and nicer because it's all brand new and it doesn't feel like it's decaying like every other place I've been in America.
0: In fairness, it being nice is not always a symbol that they're trying new and good things. True. I mean, you could say the same about Cutter, and the reason for that is slavery. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> Still, you know, a government that at least feels, that isn't so secure it feels like it doesn't have to do anything ever, it'd be nice to see. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's just nice to see a place that doesn't feel like it's decaying. But yeah, thank you for that one, Adam. Uh, and lastly, somebody asked for, actually two people asked for us to talk about Bolivia. So Bigwig and Addison, which thank you. And lucky I did see the San Francisco protesting. We'll probably talk about that on the main. So... Bolivia. Uh, So about six months ago or two years, I honestly don't know. Time has no meaning anymore. I know it wasn't that long ago. Um, We successfully backed fascists in Bolivia into overthrowing the democratically elected socialist government there.
0: Real, real, not even like your uh, Josh Hawley fascist. You're straight up like marching to government buildings and throw down the crucifix over the flag type fascist.
1: Yep. Um, And all, all of the American media backed it and everything because of course they did. All this is to get rid of Evo Morales, who was like one of the few world leaders that largely seemed, I'm not going to say above reproach because that's always dangerous, but as close to it as you can get, like Evo Morales is pretty much just fucking awesome. Like he just kicks ass across the board, but they managed to get him run out of the country, which congrats CIA, you did it again. And it was very depressing for all of us, especially because it became abundantly clear that a lot of the reason behind this was just like that episode on Chiquita that I did where... Uh, America used to do coups in Latin America purely for resources, which back in the day was to build banana plantations. Now it's for lithium mines for Elon fucking Musk. Which great because we because the li- flipping
0: epic, if you ask me.
1: Yeah, you need the lithium for the electric batteries. So
0: Joe Rogan call Evo Morales in a smoke weed in the studio. <laughs> I know Jamie has COVID right now. Prayers up, but you know if you're gonna let Elon on, fair play. You gotta let Evo on. Yeah, ask him if he's done DMT. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Since then, it's been nonstop protests and riots and stuff. Um, and so finally, the fascists who took over were like, fine, we'll do another vote. And the reason they agreed to it is because MAS, the party that Evo Morales was from, the leftist party, it stands for Movement for Socialism, explicitly said, like, listen, we would have exhausted all our options. You give us a real election where you don't fuck with it or we're taking up arms. And since basically every regular person in the country supports us, I don't think you want to see what happens when that goes down. And so the fascists went like, okay, we'll, we'll run a normal election then. Damn,
0: that, that's an uh, RBG tier threat. <laughs> Only they went outside, I assume, at some point and accomplished it.
1: Yeah, it was believable because they had consistently been clear about, here's our movement, here's the amount of people we have, here's the protest and radical action we're willing to take, and we have made it abundantly clear that we have not put violence on the table yet, but now we're going to if you don't let us have this. You don't let us have a regular, fair election. And they did. M A S one handily first round. First, round. first this is, round, baby. This is this is like the French system where there's a multiple runoff. If you if somebody doesn't get fifty percent in the first round, they won a first round, which within that system means they absolutely demolished everyone.
0: Fucking count it. That's the way to do it too. So you don't give them a chance to consolidate. Yep. That's what always happens in the French fucking elections. Exactly.
1: Although the socialists have won in the French elections in a similar style before. Yeah, so have the Le
0: Pen's. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so awesome news across the board. Uh, the, the little bit of fascist coup didn't last long.
0: A little bit, just a this, this, uh, small fascist coup. <laughs> I do like that Camacho cried. Yes, that was incredible. That, you don't get that very often. And that the
1: AP night of was still running alike. I don't know, there might be something suspect with this election.
0: I hate the fact that the CIA are so active, not because of the way they immiserate countries around the world and people that have never done anything to them or any American really, but just because personally, more and more I'm realizing that I'm going to have to go out of my comfort zone and sounding like a crank. Because <laughs> you don't, like the, the. I guess this is literally propaganda. Propaganda works on everyone, right? Especially you, especially me. Growing up, you'd think people are just like that's just CIA propaganda, man. When you look into what's actually going on with like the Uyghurs and Latin America, you go like, "Okay, okay, bud, have another toke off that doobie, and good luck with the newspapers." Yep. But actually, no, they they do just have a, a unlimited black budget and the will to power, so they basically just yeah, the CIA does this shit for real. Of course, that's what they do. Yeah, of course. But like explaining that to quote unquote like normal liberals who are just like. Donald Trump ordered a milkshake during the Intel briefings. Good. That's the best handling of the intelligence community of any fucking president since like Kennedy.
1: I, that, that story made me like him more, but the, the bad faith interpretation from Libs of course has been. The CIA is one of our institutions. Oh, so you can vote a fascist out of office. It's like, yeah, if you ignore the fact that like you had many months of on the, on the ground action, uh, a lot of rioting and protests, and then you explicitly said, yo, we're going to do violence if you don't do this. Yeah, yeah, that, that does work. The threat of violence, when it's backed by a massive movement of people, tends to have some effect on changing people's behaviors.
0: Yeah, well, I'd rather just be immiserated under decorum than have to break that seal and go outside. Yeah, of course. It is sort of a, a, a liberal sticking point. But I, I was so excited about this um, for a lot of reasons, but primarily because it, it answered a question that had sort of bounced around in my brain about Bolivia for like almost 20 years. So Brett, I, I think you uh, know this. Which
1: is where is it on the map?
0: Uh, actually, I know <laughs> where Bolivia is on a map because I uh, was good friends for a while and still am, I assume. It's one of those things where I haven't seen him in uh, a while, but I'm sure we could meet up and have a couple drinks and have fun. Mm-hmm. But growing up, I was, Pretty good friends um, with the grandson of a previous Bolivian president. <laughs> just going, you know, who I'm talking about, right? Oh, wait, he, that's who. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Shit. Yeah, I so, do know him. Yeah, good fuck. guy. Good guy. Uh, It's just rich as fuck. I remember. That I did not know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, just, all I knew was he was just stoned all the time. Yeah, because he's rich as fuck. Like, why would you, <laughs> why even. He's doing. Being in like a presidential family, correct. Which you just like hang out in Miami, go to Ultra, follow Railroad Earth on their tour, <laughs> and just really be a beacon of hope to anyone that got basically C plus grades. It's great. That's the way to do it. Smoke weed every day, but actually following through. Cool guy, uh, but I remember once he was talking about how every summer you know he'd go down with the family to do you know Bolivia stuff. And he was explaining how, like, bro, it just sucks so much down there. Because he's a smart guy and he's an empathetic guy. Like, he did do DMT, so he (laughs) he knows. He's seen the elves. He's learned their lessons. And he's like, bro, it just fucking sucks. Like, we got to get security everywhere we go. Everything's, like, armored fucking Jeeps or whatever. And you look out and it's like, there are people more or less, like, literally eating dirt. I'm like, bro, that sucks. Like, why why, why, don't you do something? Like, why is not your grandpa, like, just, like, do something about that? And he's like... Man, it fuck because it fucks fucking sucks so much. Like you know, like what can you really do for everybody? And it turns out the answer is moss. It's the move move for socialism. socialism. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, oh yeah, that resolved it. And there you go. Yeah, okay, (laughs) that was the answer to that question. (laughs) That was exactly, and that's when they did it. So like, amazing. I don't even have to go. Like probably, yeah, no, that's the answer. It's fun living in uh, South Florida. Fun with an exclamation. Well, not, no, not. Fun fun with the exclamation point is the band uh, with the guy who's dating Lena Dunham. So not that. (laughs) Uh, uh, Fun with with, uh, scare quotes growing up in South Florida. Because there's only like the tourism industry, which is more in Central Florida.
1: Yeah, Uh, it's Orlando.
0: There's the construction industry, like building cheap homes and ripping people off. And then shady stuff. That's yep. like the Triforce of power in South Florida. That's why on like previous bonuses, we talk about how like Trump and every from Hulk Hogan to Trump to fucking the Miami Heat, everyone is is in on it somehow. Yeah. And so like I just remember when you go over to people's houses, it was it was a grab bag of what you'd get. And so like this guy's house, <laughs> I remember I went to it, and usually we'd party like every weekend at his mom's house because it was like, you know, it was a big stately manor right on the water. Everyone's having like half a bottle of red wine and playing dance, dance revolution on the fancy pads. <laughs> uh, I guess somehow getting laid in defiance of God's will and in defiance of logic, I guess <clears throat> in cells, there's no excuse. Fucking get on those pads and bring it to hell. <laughs> You'll figure it out. But one weekend we went to his dad's place because we couldn't stay at his mom's and he already, you know, it was one of those things, like everyone's already ready to come over, and she's like, no, I can't come over. So I went to his dad's, who would be the son of the president of Bolivia. It was the most baller place I've ever seen. <laughs> it's the place where everything was white marble or like this dark black stone that was like glossy. I don't, I don't know what sort of, the, they don't teach you what sort of stone that is. You have to be in the Illuminati first. Uh, it had multiple waterfalls inside, a bathroom that was totally glass on the second floor that looked down on the main atrium which was sunken like it's in mad men
1: that's fucking awesome
0: why is that awesome i went up there to take a piss and i'm like holding one leg up like a dog so i'm not showing my dick to everyone down there i'm like why is it like that's this? why that's
1: awesome that's such like an aggressive <laughs>
0: move yeah no and i realized like <laughs> oh yeah the, that's that way so you can go up to the bathroom and i guess do coke and take a leak without missing the party. <laughs> yes he had motorcycles parked. Bang
1: somebody and everybody can see.
0: Parked in every single, yeah, there's a waterfall beneath it. Motorcycles parked everywhere. I was like, does your dad uh, your dad like ride motorcycles? He's like, I don't know. I've never seen him ride a motorcycle. <laughs> I'm like, what's your dad do? And he's like, oh, he's, he's like a doctor. I'm like, yeah, well, what kind of doctor? And he's like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, Who gives a shit? Let's just play Mario. We have Mario soccer on, on GameCube. Can't we just be happy? And it's like, yeah, let me get that half a glass of red wine. Let me get the party started. Knowing what your parents do is for us poor. It fucking ruled.
1: When you're rich, you don't ask questions. You just take the money.
0: Another guy went to his house uh, and it had like a a hedge maze around it. And I walked in and there was like two gates before you got to the front door. And then I went in there and there was this big open living room and there were just assault rifles mounted on... (laughs) all of the walls assault rifles and Dan Marino jerseys, which really should be the state flag of Florida. That's beautiful. Um, That's so Florida. Does your dad like, like shooting? And he was just like, he doesn't like it (laughs) (laughs) next to the couch. There were, there were eight CCTV monitors like from cameras that were strategically placed around the front that I did not see coming in. And my favorite bit, there was a, a, fire pole not a stripper pole a fire pole from the upstairs into that lobby
1: oh for escaping
0: i don't know what i a i tactical response at that point i was a little bit older i had enough foresight to not say the first thing that jumped out which is just like huh, oh, your dad has a stripper pole cool because no it goes all the way up to the roof no stripper is that good i refuse to believe it <laughs> you want to prove me wrong again at dumb and awful on twitter my dms are open for you. <laughs> it's just like all it's just it, it's just a grab bag of, of criminals and and bad ideas. I remember one guy sat me down. I went to his like big another huge manor on the water. He's like, "Rob, I'm tell you how to be a millionaire right now for free." And he explained to me, "Florida real estate. You start a business, you get a big loan off of it, you start buying up real estate. Cuz let me tell you something right now and don't you forget it. Real estate only goes up." and this was amazing 2003 i'm like damn what a wise man (laughs) Uh,
1: i got that pitch in charlotte north carolina in 2005
0: (laughs) i went to school and hung out with so many weird like i hung out with a saudi prince and he was like the most boring person around because (laughs) even the house of saud has nothing on the general debauchery of florida
1: yeah. I mean, plus Miami, uh, it genuinely like it did start with the CIA money. Like, it's not a joke when we say that, but it transitioned to becoming like the go-to spot for right wing propaganda for for the Caribbean and Latin America, uh, especially Central America. So, like, if you are a right wing person or a rich right wing person, that's where you put your money. Like your escape plan was to go to Miami. Your second house is in Miami. Like uh one of my friends in the NBA was like, Yeah, I'm from Haiti. And I was like, you know. white passing dude and we were like how's that work exactly and he's like ah you know my family kind of used to run things and I was like excuse me what and he was like related to a Haitian president it was his like Ah, uncle or something Uh you're just like that's totally normal man Sure. and he was also based out of Miami
0: yeah I I have a a wing of my family that's Dominican and let's just say I don't speak about politics with them (laughs) wise yeah
1: Uh, Wasn't there some Pope news or something else that you want to talk about?
0: Was there some Pope news? Was there some Pope? The Pope did it. Oh, the Pope. The Pope said, I do it for the girl son, the gay son. Nobody else. (laughs) (laughs) The Pope all becomes Jamaican sometimes when he talks. It's okay. It's okay. I love this so much. This was a big day for me. Jorge Bergoglio, more like Jorge and (laughs) Because... Because church doctrine is torn, and I'm not out of faith, and this is how I feel. <laughs> if you're thinking that's Natalie and why don't you step in a, a richer, greener world than the one you inhabit and have some fun for a change?
1: I got to give you this one. That is what I thought when you said Bruglia. I did think like that's oh, mat- like Natalie and <laughs> Yeah. Yep. So at least
0: my step brain
1: is out on of the same a page. Step
0: out of your comfort zone for a second <laughs> and be be bigger. No, I. I love this. Now you'd think since I was raised a hardcore Protestant that was uh, conditioned to believe literally that the Pope is Satan on earth, the Antichrist perpetually leading the flock into, I I don't know, Ireland. I never really got what the fuck it was about. You'd be right. That was how I was raised, but exposure therapy, man. Like, Brad, I I think you know this. When I was uh, out of school and couldn't find a job, I didn't want a hole in my resume. Right. So uh, I got a job doing security for a prestigious art museum, (laughs) like no qualifications. It was just like, okay, uh, you went to art school and you look enormous and Slavic. Do you want to literally just like guard a papal relic? I was like, well, that sounds pretty cool. They're like, we're glad you think it's cool because we are paying you nothing. This is literally, (laughs) it's you and a bunch of retirees. And honestly, just having a young man around for them to talk to would take a load off of my shoulders. And so. (gasps) You're like, well, I am from Florida. so Yeah, somewhat unexpectedly, uh, they would just like post me up. You didn't even have to dress that nice. Like, you know, you just wear like, you know, black slacks and a black polo. There's also a big Slavic contingent. So I think they were doing it on purpose. Like they had all of the Baltics and Eastern Europe represented there. The, the one Russian security guard kept trying to like set me up with people. <laughs> it, it was great. Um, but while I was there, the papal exhibit came through. Mm-hmm. It was like one of the, the few times that this certain, I don't know, it, who knows how much of this was marketing, but it was like a big deal that the Vatican actually lent out a lot of these things for the first time like out of Rome, right? And so I'm just standing there for seven hours a day, just looking at these fucking uh, Botticellis and and Giottos and and we had Michelangelos. It was really That's inc- fucking awesome. Yeah, it was really incredible. And I would and once people left, I could just walk alone in like a half lit gallery space through like carvings from the tombs of, of saint peter at the vatican or the the regal vestments or the gilded manuscripts all, all of the gifts to the popes all the a lot of john Paul the second stuff and i'll be sure honest hell. if you're gonna drop acid that's the place to do it <laughs> yeah. uh, it was a lot of fun there but because i was in like the uniform and everything you know the black on black and, and just sort of Uh, standing with my shoulders back and and my hands folded behind you know that douche walk you do when you put your your hand in hand behind and just casually stroll with your nose up. (laughs) i would just do that between all these masterworks and people would ask me about them and eventually i ran out of funny lies to tell people (laughs) and so i was like i should learn something and i just got sort of into catholic history and all that and so i have i have an appreciation for just like the job that being the Pope is, it's such an insane job. Like Americans act like the president is God, but Catholics really are just like, yeah, this is the mouthpiece of God almighty on yep. earth. Like the Holy Spirit, you know, it touches everyone, but it touches him the most, you broke motherfucker. <laughs> no Holy Spirit having bitch. <laughs> it's the it, They have to listen to him, right? That is actually what separates Catholicism from Protestantism. like. You have to, if you just want to go like, yeah, you know what? I accept, uh, like 30% of the first Vatican council that you know, it's not up to you. Yeah, exactly. You might as well be fucking Martin Luther then like deal with it. And so that is why what the Pope said today was so look, it's, we're grading on a curve a little bit. We're doing a little bit of like praising incrementalism, but this is the Catholic church. Like this is all they're capable of doing. What the Pope said today in a documentary, he said, uh, quote, homosexual people have a right to be in a family. They are children of God and have a right to a family. Nobody should be thrown out or be made miserable over it. And then he called for same-sex civil unions.
1: Oh, so he's basically at mid 90s Democrat level positions on LGBTQ issues?
0: Yes. That's cool. That's, I mean, no, it's not really cool. Like, in an an absolutist (laughs) sense. For the
1: Catholic Church to only be at 90s level Democrat, that's a lot of progress for them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I don't want to grade on a curve. Because the Dems are going back to that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at this point, somehow, what is usually the most hidebound living human is now to the left of like where Joe Biden was at that time. (laughs) Yes. Like, it's not good. He should just do full recognition. That's what, like, as a human, you should do. Uh, but as a pope, this is is brilliant. I mean, yes, it brings us back basically to the mid-90s or the 2000s if you're fucking Barack Obama and Joe Biden. Yep. Americans are, are fucking deranged. But in an institution where there are still people who are looked upon with some degree of credibility in major cabinet positions who would really like us to go back to, like, 1066, the fact that they've (laughs) brought us this far or brought the the faithful this far into modernity, fucking rules. It rules in the like like instant case. Like I just, I never thought I'd live to see a, a Pope say that. Like John Paul II, everyone sucks his dick, probably literally. Uh but yeah. yeah, I mean, look, he's a Polish Pope. What's he gonna do? You think you kill communism without a couple of side perks? He was a he was vaguely conservative. It was one of those things where there's a little bit of a bounce. People acted like he was this great statesman, but he did it in a way that made Poland what it is today, which is a fucking hellhole, especially for the yeah. LGBT community, which President Duda thinks doesn't fucking exist, but I'll leave that for now. So it's good, it's good, not just in the instant case, but in terms of cementing a legacy of progress. So very quickly, the second Vatican council happened uh, in like, what, the sixties?
1: I don't fucking know. I just
0: went to a judge of Catholic school. Vatican 2 you're a, you're a Jesuit. He's a Jesuit. Yeah, what do not bother to, to learn
1: about any of that stuff. Although admittedly, if there is one group within the Catholic church that isn't complete garbage, it's the Jesuits. Just because yeah. they usually practice the, the the most important bit where you help the poor. Yeah,
0: honestly, like from now on, Jesuit popes only, please. Yeah. Or or uh, Franciscans. Franciscans are pretty good too. That is true. I'm still gonna Jesuits tip my, and Franciscans. Tip my cap to the Jesuits on that one, but yeah. I, it is funny. Uh look, I mean St. Francis of Assisi, a lot of people don't know this. Like he was literally like a war criminal before he became wacky nude dancing man. But <laughs> like he he straight up like slaughtered villages and shit. He, Jesus. He, he was a real like uh, taking the long way to Damascus sort of uh, convert. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's how that's how the history of the Catholic Church works. I mean, at the end of the day, it is the Catholic Church, the biggest fucking organization of wankers in history. And yes, the pun is intended <laughs> in there. <laughs> but yeah, so he's a Jesuit guy, and what, what you need to know about that, and, and him in particular, is in the 60s, we had the Second Vatican Council referred to as Vatican II, which was this huge conclave where they brought in all the cardinals and for years just went like, all right, let's figure this shit out because society is changing and we should change with it. Again, somehow more progressive than American politics in 2020 where we're yeah. trying to build something back or make something great from the past. So they call everyone in and they really focus on these two ideas, which is adjornamento, it's a bringing up to date of the church, and lumengentium gentium, that is bringing the light outside of the church right Mm -hmm. which is this idea that if the church has any value it is to be shared with the flock you aren't a tower that you lock up pope joked that like sometimes uh when you hear jesus knocking it's not that he's arriving at your door it's that he's trying to be let fucking out of the cage that you put him (laughs) in pope francis said in his pre-conclave speech after uh the nazi ratzinger decided to fuck off off, and they were trying to name a new pope the thing that he called in the speech that probably got him elected Pope was lumen gentium to all, to the periphery. So in a Christ-like manner, he's it's like it's, we, we don't get to pick and choose who gets the light of Christ. We're supposed to evangelize, and that means to everyone. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. He called his shot like Babe fucking Ruth, and then, <laughs> and then he fucking executed. He didn't just get in there and go like, okay, now I'm Pope, I can just chill out. Uh, He said before that he would prefer a church that's bruised, dirty, and hurting on the street than bathing in its anointing oils, which grow rancid, hidden behind the church's walls. And this is him following through with promises. Now, look, civil unions are not it. But if you think people are aggressive uh, in America, they're also aggressive in the church. People have attacked Vatican II for being... Uh, basically full of liberal soy boys. Like, there are still people in his own cabinet that are like, we need to keep debating Vatican II. I know papal infallibility and all that, but, uh, you know. And there's been some good Vatican councils, but, you know, this one we really need to rethink. It's like the Roe v. Wade. And what this does, on top of just, like, being a signal, especially... the, The
1: Vatican has conservative old boomers just like everyone else.
0: Well, they're... Well, these
1: have a lot more power than your typical. Oh, yeah. uh, um, and conservative old Nazis, too. I've seen
0: with the Ratzinger. Yeah.
1: They're... <laughs> the Vatican's got a whole lot of issues.
0: They also have personal party boys, a.k.a. the Swiss Guard. Read the book. <laughs> you, look, I'm just saying they could have they had any uniforms, and those are the ones they picked. It's right there <laughs> under our noses. So Vatican II, which like wasn't even that liberalizing, it was just saying, can we please go outside and actually talk to some people? Yeah,
1: that is the point of the church, right?
0: Yeah, Jornamento Lumen Gentium. Two very simple concepts that you wouldn't think would be controversial, but why take risks, why do anything when you can basically be uh, celebrated for stasis and for having power already? Like that's the safe way to go, that's the way his own cabinet's pulling him. And what this does is, by building on the chief tenets of Vatican II, he makes it harder for people to keep arguing Rolled it. Back, yeah. he, it's a scientific study that is growing in citations. He's doing the Vatican II, what people like Brian Greene tried to do with string theory, which is we're gonna build so much off of this simple premise that it's going to be almost impossible for you to extricate current, modern thought from it, regardless of its rightness or wrongness. Now string theory, we know, Complete bullshit. Uh, uh, (laughs) Catholic God in the sky? Yeah, probably. But the outcomes of Vatican II, uh, beyond the goofy, like people rolling around in motorcycles up the pews and and baptizing people with super soakers, look, everyone was on cocaine in the 80s, (laughs) especially the clergy. What this does is just means now, if you want to fight over the liberalization of the church, however defined, you have to untangle this as well. Yeah. It's building a pile, weighting down a central concept that frankly is is, I think, a global good, especially the global south where you have uh governments that more explicitly appeal to doctrine.
1: I mean, it's an all around good thing. He's also a younger Pope intentionally because they didn't want the Ratzinger mess twice in a row, where you had a Pope switching over that quickly. So he's gonna be around for a while, which means that
0: I, I feel like God this, willing, literally.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this was one that he wanted to do from the get go and held, which I don't love, but fine. At least
0: you followed through at some point. He was signaling. I mean, I hope he goes He's further. He's been signaling
1: this shit for like five years.
0: Yeah, he he canonized three of the major players in Vatican II. Like one of the, his <laughs> his first things is he he personally canonized Saint Pope John the Twenty Third, Saint Pope John the Sixth, and Saint Pope John Paul the Second. Just as they're like, I want you motherfuckers to see where this is headed. <laughs> Yeah, uh, look, I'm, I'm sure tomorrow he'll say something very stupid, but graded on the curve that is church leaders in the modern Catholic church, this is, I mean, at this point, people wrongly get credit just for not being a literal fucking pedophile.
1: Oh, true.
0: This is someone actually taking a step in a positive direction. So shout out to the Pope uh, King in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't figure you have, any, do you have anything to, add to Pope chat. The Pope, no.
1: I don't care for the Catholic Church in general, so yeah, no.
0: Yeah, no. No, absolutely fair. Uh, they got a lot of money and they're doing
1: fuck all with fuck it. Fuck all
0: with it. Yep. I do agree that um I agree with the position that you shouldn't wear condoms. I think that's pretty cool of them. That's pretty <laughs> modern. But yeah, I I like I said I I I got into this shit through exposure therapy of just sitting there having to look at it every day. Uh you know who else has been affected by exposure therapy? Uh the democratic base. Apparently, Following the debates where Biden and Kamala were like, hey, we got to do this fracking, bud. Uh, Democratic support for a fracking ban before the debates was 65%. Mm-hmm. Already not high enough, but we are talking about like tepid liberals that are just like, well, you know, I got
1: Banning a thing? Oh, I don't know about banning. I, I, I
0: got to have, you know, we got to create jobs so I can have money so I can give my kid, a, a send my kid to college and then have them burn in the- fiery atmosphere that I am leaving them through fracking. I haven't thought it all the way through. I'm a feckless liberal. They' were at sixty five percent on a fracking ban forty nine percent after the debate. It slid sixteen points so that the Democratic party, at least according to the latest poll, is now majority pro fracking
1: My favorite part of that is like it's twofold one uh this is the proof anyone ever needed that like a leadership push in a specific direction gains support, even a little bit, even a 10% swing. Imagine what could be accomplished if they supported things that already had like 80% support, like Medicare for all or legal weed or abolishing private prisons, things that like there's basically no one arguing for outside of those lobbying groups. And it's like, yeah, that's what could be accomplished if you actually like tried to lead on a thing. Instead, the only things they're willing to lead on are things that people actually want you to do. And they're trying to like ratchet back the fucking wheel of time a little bit. They here.
0: are Robert Jordan. They are, that's right. They are leading though. They're just leading their donor base. I mean, look, a, a 65 to 49% swing is incredible leadership for the oil and gas industry. Yeah. Like they must think that Joe Biden is fucking Superman.
1: The other part about it that's super funny to me is a 51% now support fracking. I bet the vast majority of that is people being like, well, you know, in order to win Pennsylvania, which you have to understand has nothing to do with what they want or what they believe is a good or bad thing. It's purely based off of them being like, well, I watched a lot of MSNBC and what you don't understand is the Dems are playing chess.
0: Yeah. The American brain is so diseased. They just fall for it. They they're like living in fucking memento. And every time they blink, they're back another five years. (laughs) It's memento for long-term memory. I'm just worried about this trend because I'm sure you saw uh, Kasich is being considered. Sure, why not? For a cabinet position, an actual anti gay Republican governor.
1: Oh, so they do actually want to be worse than the Pope then on this issue.
0: That's cool. Yeah, no, it's okay. We can just, uh, we can, we'll pull Kasich left by giving him greater positions of power. I mean, he's still a rampant homophobe, but, you know, now he has to keep it to himself. So that's. That's incremental progress.
1: By the way, what's going on here with the Republican thing is not just like Joe Biden's deluded and he thinks like the right's going to like him more. They genuinely think that what has happened is Trump has killed a part of the party. And if the Dems uplift the segments of the party they want to keep alive, the Bush Republicans, the good conservatives, then that's what the Republican Party will be going forward. Let's pause I, I, for a moment and think about, like, not just how fucking delusional that is that they're not going to keep being right-wing populists, but the idea that the if we're reseeding the conservative party, what we're going to seed them with is the people who started the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, were, like, viciously anti-LGBTQ, who, who fucking founded ICE. Like, those are the people that were like, that's what the Republican Party should be, competent fascism.
0: Yeah, I... I would disagree. Just that I don't think they're actually trying to look. It, it, that is one political strategy, which is just sort of mold your enemy into what it, your enemy—they're on the same team—but mold the opposition party into what you need it to be for the duopoly to operate at max efficiency, which it has not been over the last four years. You know, so the Democrats can go back to being the Washington Generals. They get pantsed by a competent techno feudalist fascist fucking whatever you want to call it republican party uh ruled by the minority but i think more likely is ambition and greed even if this isn't as good a strategy i think there's too much ambition and greed individually we saw this in you pointed this out in one of the episodes we did on the debates like they couldn't get it together because everyone had their own desire for power right like no one was willing to concede I think they want to fully, I think they want to go for it and fully incorporate the Republican party to push the GOP into a further and further fringe. So you thought the boundaries of Democrats was this and I'm making a small circle with my hands and I'm increasing the size of the circle. It's actually this like the, the Lincoln project guys, the war people, the Lockheed Martins, the, the state's rights people, the Admiralty law, fucking sovereign citizens. There's a, vast number of cranks and neocons that actually are better served by our party. And if you can marginalize the left, which they've now shown they successfully can, Mm -hmm. then you can expand your, your right flank. It keeps all the donors happy. Uh, you get all the same policies you want. Only your party is now the be all end all and the Mandarin's at the top. And now the Mandarin's at the top can, can oversee an even more vast empire. It basically removes moves on the board for Republicans. Yeah, I mean, that's literally... It gives people no reason to go back to being That was GOP. the Bill
1: Clinton strategy. It didn't work. It's fucking stupid. It, it has yet to work. Uh, the one time they thought it worked only really occurred because there was a strong third-party right-wing candidate pulling enough votes for Bill Clinton to win. And also, uh, he was an incredible public speaker going against a mumbly hack from the CIA with zero charisma. It's like... They always learn the lesson they want to learn from every election. The lesson they learned from that election was if you move to the right, more people will vote for you. And it's like, that has nothing to do with it. Turnout is up in Florida for what it's worth. Who gives a shit? I don't know. I, any, any, like, everything with this election and polling has also been driving me crazy. I don't care what the turnout thing says. They've done this every fucking cycle for the last few where they go like, you know what? Hillary might actually end up swinging 10 extra states based off of early voting and it's like shut the fuck up and wait until the votes are actually in before you make proclamations because this pattern repeats itself every time this is a particularly difficult year to project no one has any idea what likely voters look like so all the polls are doing likely voter screens based off of i don't fucking know non-pandemic time so why don't we just actually wait and find out what happens Projecting who's going to win or not win is very difficult. I don't give a fuck if Joe Biden is up and a poll of people who bother to answer their phone are registered dim and are honest with pollsters. And it's like, that's enough filters that you're probably not getting a ton of fucking. Like, so I I don't honestly know. It could be a massive crushing wave for Biden purely if old people decide that they just got tired of Trump. That alone would do it. No one else has to vote for him if that's the case. Right. Like that is that is that is a situation we're in. But, like, no one fucking knows because polling is fundamentally flawed, both generally, but particularly in this year. It does not work in a pandemic year. Like, it's not going to happen.
0: You're saying when it comes to the uh, statistical significance of polls around early voting in Florida, uh, your take is turn out for what? Fuck you. Turn out for what? Doop, doop, doop. Boop, uh, boop, 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 boop. Turn up uh, boop, 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 boop boop key change. Boop, boop, <laughs> boop, boop,
1: boop. Uh, uh no, but they do they do the early voting thing every time. Dems usually vote early. Republicans vote day of or like in the final week. And so they always do this thing, even in normal years where they're like, ooh, early voting, Dems are leading. And it's like they always lead. That's what their voters do. They do early voting.
0: I'm sorry for bringing that up. I, I just like I I I, I know the the polling stuff is annoying and and again maybe the whole electoralism is fucking annoying because yeah, it's, a guy that's that's bringing the Dems over on fracking and putting Kasich in his cabinet among and like he's just the most like mundane ghoul just your typical bigot ghoul rather than your sophisticated like high frequency trading ghoul that's yeah. probably going to be in the fucking treasury it's just none of this matters that much because. You're just not going to be able to pull fucking Joe B- Unless you're Joe Biden's fucking presidential tailor, you are never pulling him left. What does constantly like, it. nice. <laughs> yeah, now you regret thinking about it. I'm sorry I led yeah, you astray you. there. Uh, for as one. a broadcaster, I promise not to do that again. It does
1: raise the question of like, for the people who think we're going to go, all right, well, we got Biden and then 24, maybe we'll get like AOC. How does AOC exist in the same party that has Kasich in a cabinet level position? Someone explain that to me, how that works exactly. How you are comfortable being in the same party. You, the person pushing the Green New Deal, are comfortable being in the same party as the people saying, fracking is dope, shut the fuck up, the oil people have paid us a lot of money. Like that person is literally being paid by the people you have properly painted as the enemy uh, if we don't all want to fucking die.
0: Honestly, that's the least that Joe Biden could do is come out like j-rock and be I'm like, yo fracking is dope <laughs> speak to me in terms i can understand
1: that would be a nice change of pace but yeah it's it makes me wonder if uh ricky there's, there's fucking
0: energy pimps here <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't okay bubbles it wasn't bad i didn't know what was going to come out I, that could have been anywhere on the spectro sure. much like myself <laughs>
1: I just it, it it's it's pushing to the point of of the people within the party trying to do electoralism for the left that you have to start asking questions about like how exactly do you reconcile your position with where the party is at because it's disgusting and like if you're Ilhan Omar and she does actually seem to have like ethics which is why I like her I I feel like that's probably going to be a pressing question if Biden does get elected so
0: yeah and you know what she does results too she has created a lot of jobs for people in minnesota stuffing ballots and (laughs) and doing election fraud good for her it's good for her and you know what who else good for her fucking megan day perfect transition seamless as ever beautiful uh megan day queen jacobin uh wrote an article today we'll end with this
1: yeah i saw she, she talked about one of my favorite movies
0: yeah, because we, we did the, one of, my, uh, one of my favorite gimmicks we did was the, the rom-com episode.
1: Yeah. That
0: one was fun. And in that, you said that You've Got Mail is what, your favorite or one of your favorites? Not my favorite, but one of my go-tos. Well, it turns out uh, one of your faves is problematic. Uh, oh,
1: shock. A 90s rom-com has problems?
0: <laughs> Megan Day, who I like, um, wrote an article today. And this will be our reading series. I have not read this yet. Uh, so, this will this will be new to me. I hope it doesn't suck, but Megan's a good writer, so I probably won't. But she wrote today, The Romance of American Clintonism. It's 1998. Sushi restaurants are the height of cosmopolitanism. The color palette of every cafe interior is putty, mocha, moss, and merlot. People are snickering about Monica Lewinsky and dabbling in cyber sex. Across the nation, they're parking between Borders and Gap and striding through outdoor malls. Tic Tacs and oh, Nicorette rattling. You miss Borders?
1: I do, actually.
0: That's where I discovered Rage Against the Machine, because I've been at this for a long time. Nice. The ultimate punk experience.
1: I just That was the only bookstore I've been to, because uh, I grew up with Barnes & Noble. That was the first bookstore I've been to where they weren't condescending pricks to me.
0: I liked... So, that was cool. I like Borders more than Barnes & Noble, because... Borders had the little setups where you could listen to music for free. And I was like, bro, they're going to be so pissed when they find out all the free music I'm getting here. (laughs) And they were because I just took that idea over onto Napster and Kazaa and killed their entire (laughs) industry. So it took me a while. So across the nation, they're parking between Borders and Gap and striding through outdoor malls, Tic Tacs and Nicorette rattling in their leather shoulder bags into brand new regal cinemas to see the Nora Ephron romantic comedy, You've Got Mail. To me, there's hardly any movie more comforting. When it comes to mind, I can almost taste candy apples and milky sweet Starbucks. For that reason, I have watched this quintessential late 90s film many times. But it was only on this last viewing that I finally caught its drift. If you squint past the brownstone facades and cashmere turtlenecks and twinkle-lit shop windows, you've got mail reveals itself to have politics. Or more accurately, it has anti-politics and in abundance. You've got mail stars Meg Ryan as independent children's bookstore proprietor, Kathleen Kelly, middle name, Karen, and Tom Hanks as <laughs> mega chain corporate bookstore executive, <laughs> Joe Fox. There's really no fun initially. You can, there's no vow you can put between J and F to make it funnier.
1: Nope.
0: Yep. <laughs> That's how, and y'all just saw real time. How long it took me to think of the vowels. <laughs> That's why I like Jeopardy more than wheel of fortune. Uh, the two fall in love anonymously online via emails exchanged over AOL, while the latter is mercilessly driving the former out of business. He succeeds, and Kathleen's store shutters, permanently scarring the cultural landscape of Manhattan's Upper West Side. As there, by the way, anything that scars the Upper West Side actually problematic fave.
1: Yeah, they're the people who who call themselves libs, and then their crusade against the homeless got Tucker Carlson's attention. He was like, actually, they're right. Yeah, that's who who aligns with you when it comes to doing your politics.
0: These are people who, while while sipping, while wearing a sweater and having both hands wrapped around a, a mug of warm apple cider, tell BLM that they need to behave. Yep, that's the Upper West Side. If you're uh, uh, not from New York, uh, which how dare you, greatest city on earth? As their improbable romance develops, anyway, Joe Brett just glaring at me now. Joe asks Kathleen self deprecatingly, but sincerely, why she quote. Won't forgive me for a tiny little thing like putting you out of business, end quote. Against all odds, she does. For Kathleen's and our ability to forgive, we're rewarded with bouquets of daisies and a sugary cranberry soundtrack. Perhaps, I realized on this last viewing, this is the ultimate source of the movie's comfort for droves of viewers in 1998. You've Got Mail comes at the end of a string of mainstream, anti-selling-out romantic comedies and dramas. Popular films with subcultural themes like Reality Bites and Empire Records, but also conventional blockbusters like Jerry Maguire and even Titanic. In this lineage, You've Got Mail marks a profound departure. Here's a new fantasy. If we just stop resisting the inexorable march of corporate domination, everything will resolve itself in our favor. In that sense, You've Got Mail is the Ur-Clintonite film, a pure expression of the era's liberal political defeatism masquerading as optimism that politics are now disposable. Indeed, that they're only standing in the way of utopia. This is the ethos of third-way centrism, that socialism versus capitalism is an outdated dichotomy, and that popular interests will be most broadly served through technocratic tinkering rather than conflict.
1: The, the context of the lineage of, of rom-coms is correct for the era. Nora Ephron's been writing a long time. Her movies are more like each other than they are anything else that's going on. What, are the other what do you f- mean? Nora Ephron writes movies that that don't necessarily react to the context of other rom coms. She tends to uh, create the dynamic that other rom coms emulate, like especially at this point in her career. Nora Ephron like crushed for a while when it came to writing rom coms. It was fucking ridiculous.
0: Is she related to Zac Ephron?
1: I don't think so because they're spelled slightly differently.
0: Good. That means they can fuck. Nice. Uh, I'm gonna think about that. Now you should think about it. I'd good, rather not. Good for Nora.
1: But the other thing I would say is the politics of the era, which I think she's about to get into for the 90s, isn't necessarily just that people think like, oh, technocratic will work. The tinkering will work. That's a thing. There's a really good book on the, the Clinton versus Bob Dole race in what was in 96. And it follows the Bob Dole campaign. And it's actually the guy who wrote uh, Moneyball, right? Same dude, right? Uh, Trail Fever, I think it's called. That one's fantastic because, like, it's in the moment. Journalists following it. What no do we? One, what do we
0: need? A star? No, that's not what we need. We need five sexual assault accusations a year, <laughs> and we can get it with this guy Bill. But his his, his wife's not pretty. Uh, we need to get rid of all that traditional <laughs> confidence bullshit and just look at the numbers.
1: But what you get from that, it's not that people think like everything's great and amazing with politics in that era. Right, It's that people have fucking given up because the two parties look so identical. There's no point. That is, that is the, the driving message that you get every time, every time the writer is interviewing regular folk at rallies. And it's a whole lot of people, even the people who show up for rallies being like, I mean, they're basically the same. Their, their policies aren't really that different. Gen they're not X
0: cynicism.
1: Uh, they're not wrong. Bill Clinton intentionally kept trying to push to the right to try to remove the gap between himself and the Republicans which is what Biden's trying to do now. It's the same plan they've been following since then. But it meant that if you looked at him, you went like, yeah, those are basically the same fucking party. Personality politics is a thing we always try to push anyway, but like that's as close, especially that campaign is as close as the parties have been to basically having identical platforms. Cause Bob Dole was also just lazy as fuck. He didn't really want to run a campaign. He realized he wasn't anywhere close to winning. And so he just let the consultants write the platform and the consultants wrote a platform
0: that was nearly identical to Bill Clinton's like, I can't believe they're just repeating that, but with a less vibrant candidate than Bob Dole.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. But yeah, the idea that people like thought like technocracy is one and it's great. No, it more like technocracy is one and we've just been defeated so thoroughly. Like, fuck it. Well, I'll pay attention to something else then.
0: So Megan Day continues, of course, big capitalists come out on top in the final result, but everyone else from the proletariat to the petty bourgeois is also happier and more prosperous for having relented. We have no use for the old antagonisms, The movie seems to say history's over. Romance has defeated it. Maybe I'd have understood the pervasive anti-politics of you've got mail earlier. If I dwelled for a moment on the dialogue about Francisco Franco. So midway through the movie, (laughs) birdie, the elderly, it's amazing. She missed this birdie. The elderly children's bookstore employee confesses. She had a love affair with a man who quote ran Spain. Kathleen finds it whimsical, but when she relays it to Frank, her left-wing New York Observer columnist boyfriend, who's played by Greg Kinnear, he's unnerved. It's not like he was something normal like a socialist or an anarchist, reasons Frank. Kathleen objects that people do all kind of in- inexplicable things in foreign countries. "Absolutely," says Frank. "They buy leather jackets for much more than they're worth, but they don't fall in love with fascist dictators."
1: I'm I'm with Frank on this one, but uh for those who don't want to watch the movie, Frank is basically a Luddite The whole movie is his obsession with his typewriters because that's when technology was at its finest and computers are the devil. Uh, He's a total, he's referred to as a crank by multiple people. It it is Nora Ephron skewering the idea of the faux intellectual really, really effectively too. This is the one time that you're like, oh, I completely agree with Frank here.
0: Frank confesses that he could never be with anyone who doesn't take politics as seriously as I do. This exchange prompts a series of revelations that result in a breakup. We're instinctively on Kathleen's side. Frank is harmless, but also cloying, a bit self-righteous, a little phony. Aren't all lefties? We're relieved when she's rid of him with his endless opinions, his interminable crusades, his politics. I haven't seen the movie, but I assume this is just like proto-infinite jest guy.
1: He's always very full of himself and talking about like what new thing he's discovered. And again his obsession with his fucking typewriter right like they come back to that like four times in the goddamn movie
0: so he's like a relic of a a bygone era that hasn't realized he's a relic of a bygone era pretty much post politics and he's not
1: nearly as smart as he thinks he is you know the usual
0: now she's free to fall for joe candid unpretentious politically unencumbered joe who has already destroyed her livelihood an entire source of personal meaning and pursued a profit mechanically and without malice simply because that's what he does i mean yeah (laughs) dead on on that one kathleen wanders into joe's now operational chain store and discovers despite her heavy heart that the people inside are finding comfort and delight in its generous offerings what's there to fear monoculture is culture nonetheless she begins to soften submit politics have been swept aside and the love story can begin in earnest for a comparatively complacent political period in the United States, the nineties boast a surprisingly large number of mainstream romantic comedies about fighting the man or resisting the pressure to sell out. Yeah. There's no coincidence here. It was as if the culture was grappling with the implications of having abandoned even the pretense of crusading reformism to say nothing of socialism in favor of an unapologetic celebration of corporate values and business culture. The new Democrats, the technocratic, pro-business up-and-comers in the party, had arrived on the scene and made it their mission to quash the remaining egalitarian impulses left of center. Even as inequality intensified, wages stagnated, jobs departed, living costs skyrocketed, skyrocketed and opportunities evaporated. Capital lacked serious opposition. The implications were broadly felt, but in the absence of any kind of organized left, most people didn't have the political vocabulary to contend with them. Truth. Yeah. That's why, by the way, I think even this dumb, near meaningless, uh, sort of imprint that leftists have in media is actually a good thing. At the very least, it's a only slightly slur filled lexicon of political communication
1: at least helps you understand the dynamics better
0: so as bill clinton and his democratic party brethren proceeded to slash welfare and deregulate business it was left to popular culture to adjudicate the matter Ugh. though i guess that hasn't gone away uh, the rom-coms of the era paved avenues for vicarious rebellion winona ryder's character in reality bites leaves the corporate doormat played by ben stiller for the brooding penniless slacker philosopher played by ethan hawk After delivering a manifesto against corporate soullessness and sports management, Tom Cruise's Jerry Maguire starts down the road to success with a more personal, more humane business model. The merry band of cool clerks at Empire Records raise enough money to save their store from a mega-chain buyout and install their sympathetic manager as owner, preserving the institution's integrity. Kate Winslet's character in Titanic liberates herself from the bondage of aristocratic conformity by abandoning her cruel, rich fiance. For the doomed artist, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, poor, beautiful, and free. The Cold Warriors had long since scrubbed all overt traces of socialism from American culture, so the political imagination of the 90s anti-sellout rom-com narratives is necessarily constrained. There's no outright opposition to capitalism in these movies. Instead, rebellion takes two general forms, personal romantic bravery and the principal defense of small business. These mm-hmm. are... Con- <laughs> Yeah. God damn, Megan did making me sad, but you're probably <laughs> probably right. Uh, these are consistent with the ascendant popular leftish politics of the period, focused primarily on cultural expressions of individual authenticity, disciplined and yep. defensible personal consumption, and the salvation of capitalism's soul from corruption by greedy big business. That's Gen X's fuck right. Just there. saving the soul of capitalism. Yep. I mean, it's Gen X is also fucking Liz Warren. Uh, the collective political subject is nowhere to be seen still. Defiance of one kind or another was the norm in this genre until as far as I can tell, you've got male hit theaters. That was the genius of the film's appeal. It was not only a clever and captivating love story, but also a fantasy that spoke to the neoliberal subjects, thorough exhaustion with politics and yearning for acquiescence without punishment to the extent that it was even happening. Resistance didn't seem to be working. What if you didn't have to resist anymore and nothing was lost? What if the man turned out to be Mr. Right that the film's other major theme is novel digital communication underscores the idea that surrender is the future and the future is bright over the rainbow plays as Joe and Kathleen embrace mm-hmm. wholly reconciled all conflict resolved, all contradictions polished away smooth and frictionless. The camera pans to a clear blue sky, which transforms into a computer screen. We're in cyberspace, we're in the next millennium. We've left all the bitterness of the 20th century marked by feudal and self-sabotaging resistance to capitalist domination, that's behind us. We've fallen in love with that which would destroy us. And in this act of euphoric capitulation, we are ultimately rescued from destruction.
1: Her, her lineage of rom-coms, I will throw in there, While You Were Sleeping came out in 95, the two main leads in that are both clearly working class. The guy who is a total douchebag who kind of gets fucked over in the end and people repeatedly tell me he's a putz is the rich lawyer guy, right? Just to throw one in there. There is one that's basically like being working class is brutal and it sucks and you get shit on, but fuck that guy. So while you were sleeping still, uh, even for the era has pretty good politics.
0: I still prefer, as I said earlier, the Korean while you're sleeping because there's psychic powers. I know. I understand. That's just one of my ideology sucks. I want to see people do mind (laughs) tricks. Honestly, I'll vote for whoever Darren Brown tells me to as long as he does a a cool mentalism trick. (laughs) That would be a great excuse, by the way, for your vote. Just go, Darren Brown made me do it by mind-freaking me. Elsewhere in the movie, Frank, who professes to detest television for quasi-political reasons, confesses he's fallen for a corporate TV news anchor named Sidney Ann. The notion of love conquering politics is an echo of a real-life story that was an object of popular fascination in the early Clinton years. The marriage between Bill Clinton's chief strategist... Oh, God. I know where this is going. The marriage between Bill Clinton's chief strategist, James Carville, and... Republican political consultant, Mary Matlin. You've Got Mail took the idea that animated that fascination and ran with it. Rather than rebel through love, we have a new story of romantic bravery, a better story in which love crosses aisles, dissolves division, transverses ideologies, forgives trespasses, and renders rebellion obsolete. Frank and Sydney Ann, Birdie and Franco, Kathleen and Joe. James Carville and Mary Matlin, left and right, capital and labor, the triumph of the personal over the political, the sentimentality of bipartisanship, the wisdom of compromise, the romance of treason, the sweet release of the end of history. It's an alluring neoliberal fantasy, seductive as Fall in Manhattan in popular film, sweet as the fruity-flavored blended Tiazzi drink debuted by Starbucks in 1998, available in nearly 2,000 locations nationwide. It seems unlikely that You've Got Mail would be made today not without major adjustments. Anyway, politics has come roaring back to life. The subsumption of the political into the personal was incomplete. The class idea was unsuccessfully euthanized. It is twitching, stirring its slump shape beginning to rise. The forms our politics take remain insufficient. The collective anti-capitalist political subject still remains elusive in both popular culture and with some notable exceptions, real life. Still to review the last decade of American life is to observe that the end of history has itself ended for many of us who lived during the Clinton years, especially those of us who are young and impressionable, weaned on the nectar of anti politics. I suspect a component of our politicization has been the harsh realization that the nectar is sour. The fantasy has dissolved. We can't love our way out of struggle. We must instead draw lines, resist compromise and struggle for what we love the end. By Megan Motherfucking Day. Brett, thoughts?
1: In general, there's no like, cause rom com is the cleaned up version of a romance movie, right? They like, they try to make it as pleasant as possible, which in Hollywood means white, right? White and not too difficult to watch, right? And then when they, people are like, oh, I'm gonna do something different, they make it to like a rom com, but people have relationship issues. That's like, that's still not really like, yeah, representation in rom-coms are terrible. So, like, the idea that the politics and rom-coms are dog shits, like, yeah, no, of course they are. Like, that's I don't watch a rom-com for the politics. That said, uh, I think she's mostly right. The one thing I will say is the concept that Kathleen Kelly, a woman who inherited a store in the Upper West Side, an apartment in the Upper West Side, uh, and was comfortable her entire life never having to do anything beyond the thing that she was handed isn't really that different from the guy doing the same thing in a rich family
0: imagine a world in which a boss and the petite bourgeois could fall in love yeah doop, 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 it's doop, like, doop,
1: doop. so uh, the, the modern version of that is just she's just more clearly petite bourgeois like where they run into each other the first time when she realizes that like oh my god that's the guy running me out of business is at a swanky party in the upper west side like it's like okay they're not that different from each other class wise. It's 1% versus 0.01%, which like, yes, there is a difference. He definitely ran her out of business. But it's like, mm, not, it's not, it's not something where you're like, oh my, I'm I'm so sad about this. But largely I think she's right. It is very anti-political. That's part of what I like about it, that it's just like, can we just not do this? Everything's exhausting. Like fuck
0: it. We just won't bother. What the analysis?
1: No, no, no. I, I think her analysis that it's anti-political is dead on. It's very clearly like Kathleen Kelly is the person who, like, you're supposed to feel closest to as the audience. And her approach to politics is basically like, I'm just fucking tired. No one talks to me. It doesn't do anything. I just don't care. And it's like... I just like, want to eh. lie back
0: and get fucked by capitalism and find a way to be okay with it.
1: Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, that said, the entire movie... real pill origin. The entire movie up until the point where suddenly she forgives him makes sense the forgiveness makes no sense even within the plot of the movie like it is a massive suspension of disbelief because they don't really cover it it's just like he just starts hanging out with her that's it and they become friends and she's like i guess it's fine that, that is never discussed i love romance it's never yeah that's that's how she like that's the, the jujitsu she pulls on you is just being like what if we just don't address that and we're like okay she loses her very comfortable business uh retreats to her very comfortable apartment And it's sad for a bit and then falls in love with the dude who courts her for like five months. I was like, all
0: right, yeah, fair enough. There has to be some amount of suspension of disbelief that when her entire livelihood was just run out of business by a corporate megalith monster, her result was like, oh, I guess I'll lay back and not do that anymore. Whereas like here in New York now, we literally have cab drivers rolling up to city hall and blowing their brains out with guns because uber has completely fucked their entire industry (laughs) oh and again this part i'm laughing because it's fucking horrible that's that's the actual real world 2020 uh how it goes without the movie form Uh,
1: megan megan glossed over this bit which again i do think largely her point is accurate but kathleen kelly loses her business and immediately gets offers to write books from high-end publishers right because she's in the know everybody knows her she's connected within that network I like, like she's idea. she's fine I like she's the, fine guys
0: i like the idea of this movie both created and streamlined the concept of uh, a failed daughter grill pilling <laughs> <laughs> ahead of its time i empathize with a people looking around feeling like there's no way they can affect politics and then desperately trying to find a way to surrender and not have that weight sitting on their shoulders perpetually
1: yeah no it makes sense
0: i i in the instant case I don't really I have a hard time empathizing This is true of rom-coms in general with someone where it's like well there went my livelihood time to fall into another one because I know too many people where that is not if she fucking got on a dragon and rode off that would more closely resemble the real fucking world than what happened in that movie exactly exactly
1: but yeah and I said at the end of it she's right it's definitely a reflection of like the the Clinton era 90s It, it does capture that era really well Another great article from Megan Day.